Come on, somebody give the Lord some praise in the house. Welcome, welcome. Great to see you, Faith Promise. We welcome all of Faith Promise at all of our locations everywhere. We're thrilled. We're excited. Faith Promise is one church with a lot of locations, and we're maximizing and baptizing technology and using it to reach out. So exciting. You picked a great weekend to come. We're in a series called Unstoppable because our God is unstoppable, and we're talking about miracles and praying for miracles. Last weekend was our first weekend in the newly renovated Campbell County campus. Had almost 200 on Labor Day. It was a great day for them. So praise the Lord. Last weekend, our Costa Rica campus, which is not a year old, was almost 600 in attendance. And so, man, God is moving in Kanye's Costa Rica. And so we are thrilled. So I'm going to ask you a question. If you're listening, Sam, let me ask you. Can Faith Promise Church grow and reach people in the fall? Yes. Y'all believe that? Because we never have. <laughs> so I thought I'd bring that to your attention. See, it's, a, it's weird. Our seasons have changed in the last 10 years. Uh, after the 4th of July, y'all start coming back to church. Because after Mother's Day, y'all quit. And so you stop and you go on vacation. We're glad you do that. Grateful that, that you're able, that you have the resources to do that. After 4th of July, everybody starts coming back. And so every weekend it goes boom, boom, boom. Then we hit August and it goes boom, boom, boom. And we do just like this until right here at the apex. You know what happens right there? Football. Football. Now, I love football. I'll be watching football this afternoon. I watched football last night after church. Love the first three quarters. What a first three-quarter ball game. It's unbelievable. Love that. Last quarter sucked to the high heaven, but man, the first three quarters. So see, I love football, but I love Jesus more. I mean, it's still, and I'm, you know, I pray, I'd love to see UT win another national championship. But you know what? The Super Bowl happens here every weekend at Faith Promise Church. And so I want to challenge you, challenge you to stay focused. Stay focused. Man, let's don't let football's a game. If you like college, it's a bunch of 18 to 22 year old young adults playing a ball, playing a ball game with a ball on a field. What happens here changes people's reality forever. So much more important than what color and what team and who wins and who gets a trophy. We're talking about people missing hell and gaining heaven. And so let's keep inviting, amen? Let's keep working. Don't lay back just because it's football season. Let's, let's get in. I, I understand our Saturday night tennis drops. I got that, 25%. As long as all those people come Sunday, I'm good. You know, and so, but let's just stay focused. Let's stay dialed in. And so, by the way, Friday night was Guy Fest. Oh, my mercy. Man, guys, it rocked. If you missed that, it was unbelievable. A friend of mine, Joe Champion from Austin, blistered it. We had guys saved. We had guys embrace their calling. We had barbecue. It was unbelievable. It was a great night. Almost 500 guys. Now, and it, we, we've got our ladies' evening coming up for bold. Now, last year, the women thumped, thumped the men. Ladies, will that happen again this year? 
That's what I thought. And I want you ladies to thump the men and give me a club to beat the men with because I'm going to. And so that's coming. Sign up online, ladies, man. Dive in there. Uh, get all that. By the way, our financial peace, we do two financial peace series a year. The fall series is about, uh, classes are about to start. Last weekend, we prayed for Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord, our provider. People have already emailed. They've stopped me this week and say, I got a job. Hey, God did this. God did that. We saw miracles of provision last week. But if money is an issue for you, we're asking God to provide, but you need to learn how to manage well what you have. And so if money's an issue, go online this week, sign up for financial peace. Last year, I don't remember how many tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of dollars of personal debt were wiped out just by the people in financial peace. So sign up. It'll be a great thing. It'll help you. This weekend, we're talking about prodigals. Next weekend, we're going to have stations at every campus for anointing and praying that people would be healed. And so we're talking about prodigals, and, and if you've got a Bible, we're going to end up in Luke chapter 15, one of Jesus' more familiar and famous stories that he told of the prodigal, but, but don't get focused on just the younger brother who left, because see, prodigals come in all kinds of shapes, all kinds of sizes, all kinds of ages, and either gender. There are families that are busted, there are dads that have bailed, there are mothers that have bailed, there are kids that have bailed, there are young adult uh, you know, kids of adults that go here that no longer go to church that have bailed. And, and so we got prodigals of all shapes and sizes, right? And so what we're going to be doing in a few minutes is we're going to be praying the desire of God and the desire of God is the prodigals come home. In Psalms 133, let me give you insight into the heart of God. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in what? This is a theme throughout the word of God. It is like the precious oil upon the head, even the beard coming down the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there, not at the mountain of Zion, but there in unity, the Lord has commanded the blessings, life forever. God loves unity. He loves togetherness. Jesus' high priestly prayer of John 17 was one of, I pray that they be one, Father, as you and I are one, so that the world will know that you sent me by them being one. He is all about us being one. Would y'all agree with that? So in a minute, amen, in a minute, we're going to pray, actually, in like 25. We're going we're gonna to have prayer people all over the, all over the, the front of every, of every stage at every campus, and people are going to come down. We're going to be praying for prodigals to come home. And this is the deal. You can, pray this, you can pray this morning knowing the will of God because it is the will of God for restoration. That's what God is all about. Matter of fact, he closed the Old Testament with this sentence. Now, let me tell you, he didn't speak for 400 years. If you're going to say something and not talk for 400 years, would you be careful about what you said? So this is, what, this is God's last thing. He will restore the hearts of the what? To there. And the hearts of the to there. So that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Our God is about restoration. He's about relationships. He's about bringing people back home. He's about bringing people back to his heart. He is about bringing couples back together. He's about unifying small groups. He is about our church being together. And when we are together, when we are in unity, when we are lockstep in vision, which is one thing I pray for every day, a synergism of faith, 
and a focus on God and the fire of God. This weekend, man, there are hundreds and hundreds of people taking care of preschool, taking care of kids. There are people that lead in worship and running cameras and running production. There are people that are online right now ministering in our online services. There are people that are, that are parking cars and helping people get out of the parking lot. There are ushers and greeters and all this stuff. Wednesday night, there'll be a 1,000 students and people taking care of them. And all through this next week, there'll be a couple thousand adults meeting in homes, studying the Word of God together. God loves unity. Amen? He loves when the prodigals come home. In Acts chapter 3, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer. See, Christ is not a name, by the way. It's a title. Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. Christ, it means the anointed one of God. That the Christ would suffer and thus fulfilled. He did. He came. He suffered, crucified, buried, and on the third day he rose from the grave. Therefore, because of what God has done, repent and return. And if you will, prodigals, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration for all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his prophets about future times. Now, it says in that passage that God sent his son Jesus, Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, for, that he will bring about a restoration. Restoration means to restore to the original state before the fall. And so God wants to bring back. You think Adam and Eve were, do you think they were chilling in the garden? Do you think Adam and Eve fought in the garden? No. See, two spirit-filled people can't fight. So if you're at home and you're having a fight, at least one of you is now walking in the flesh. Most likely both of you. And so, because two, two spirit-filled people can't fight. We're going to, why? Because we're, the fruit of the Spirit's going to come out, not the fruit of the flesh. It said that, that if you will re- repent, change your mind, and return, the times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. And refreshing means to recover your breath. That's what it means. And one of the ways we recover our breath is, breath is when prodigals come home and God restores spirit-filled relationships and we grow in unity. Now, would you agree that the anointing of God falls in unity? Would you all agree with that? Okay, so that's the will of God. Understand then that the devil's will is disunity. If God is harmony, the devil is disharmony. If God is unity, the devil is division because their wills are diametrically opposed. And so God wants us to be one. That means the devil wants us to be divided. He divides us to destroy us because we are weaker when we are divided. Families are weaker when they are divided. When the dad bails, the mother and the kids are out from underneath the cover. When mom bails, it leaves dad and the kids out. Man, we are meant to be one, a unit, just like we are as a church. In Isaiah chapter 58, the greatest chapter in the whole Bible about fasting and why we fast and what God wants to do in our fast, those from among you who rebuild the ancient ruins. Do you think we have some ruined relationships this weekend with almost 7,000 worshipers. Do y'all believe we do? Of course we do. Those of you who rebuild the ancient ruins, you will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach. And because we know we've got prodigals, we know there are breaches, we know there are holes because people are not where they're supposed to be. They have bailed their prodigal. 
the restorer of the streets to which to dwell. We are to be, as God's people, the repairer of the breach. That means to restore relationships. That means, that means Jesus said, actually, that we are called, the blessed are the peacemakers. So have you ever walked into a volatile situation where two people are mad at each other? Not this morning, maybe, but just, you know what I'm talking about? You walked into a volatile situation, then you're not, you're not involved. These two people are mad, and you walk in. You have the ability to fan the flame and drive the wedge deeper in that relationship. Or you have the ability as a minister of reconciliation, as one who is a peacemaker, to begin to speak life and peace that we can work this out. Are y'all with me? And see, a lot of us have been guilty of driving the wedge deeper instead of trying to restore, haven't we? Are you, are you with me? Are y'all out there? So you're, 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 a, you're a child of God. You're a peacemaker. You need to be careful. Now, first off, let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you something. When I talk about reconciliation, restoration, ladies, if you're in a position where you are in danger of your husband, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. If you're in a home where you're being abused or your kids are being abused, let us know. We'll help you get out. We'll help you get to another place. That's not what I'm talking about. Matter of fact, you know, I used to counsel years ago. I haven't done any counseling in, in several years for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is because I've made mistakes in counseling people. And when you hold people's life in your hand and you're counseling with their most vulnerable time, it's a dangerous thing. Would y'all agree with that? I can remember a guy who sat across my desk and his wife, he had beaten his wife up. She weighed 80 pounds, had a withered arm right here, and he beat her up. And as she told her story, I looked at him and said, I'm about to climb across my desk and I'm going to stomp you into a mud puddle in my office. My mistake was not doing it. In Jesus' name. I'm, I'm not kidding because let me tell you what happened. I told that guy, if you lay another hand on her, I will come to your house. I will drag you out and I will beat you in your front yard. He said, you're bigger than me. I said, and you're bigger than her. So nanny, nanny, boo-boo, punk. I don't want to hear another word. So you see why I don't counsel. And all you people who say, Pastor, we need to meet with you, you don't want to meet with me. My counseling service, my can't last three minutes. You say about 90 seconds, he says about 90 seconds. I already know what the problem is. So I tell you, stop being stupid, quit, and leave. We're done. Pray and go. So marital counseling for me takes about eight minutes. So you don't want to come to me. My mistake in that was not whipping him while I had the chance because he went home and later tried to poison his wife, put poison her Dr. Pepper, their six-year-old daughter, picked it up, drank it, and it killed her. Had it do over again, I would have stomped his butt. See, God will forgive me. I'm a grace guy, but I would have. Uh, are you with me? And by the way, men, men if, faith, if you come to faith promise and you lay hands on your wife, we, we're coming to lay hands on you. Can I get some help, men, for that ministry? Man, come on. That's what I thought. Come on. You say, you're a preacher. You can't do that. Listen, I grew up in the project. I stomped a lot of tail before I got saved, and I think I still remember. So if you're laying a hand on your wife, there's going to be a butt kicking in the house. Then you can tell God you're sorry. And so... So I'm not talking about, ladies, if you're in danger. That's not what I'm talking about. I want to make this very clear. It's funny I got it, but I want to make it very clear. 
Because we're looking at the story of the prodigal in Luke chapter 15 and the prodigal coming back home. Now, one of the things I love about Faith Promise, and I, you know what I think, is there are going to be adults that are going to hear this story for the first time this weekend. You have never heard the prodigal. You say, that can't be so, Pastor. There's no way. We live in East Tennessee. There's a church on every corner. That's right, and most of them are empty. They're empty. Nobody's going. I'm going to tell you why in a few minutes. But they're, they're empty. And so we have a growing church. We ought to be giving God glory every Sunday, every weekend that, when we, that we get to come to a church that's growing, that people are being saved, that people are dedicating babies. Most church you go to, there's 43 ladies in the nursery and two kids. Why? Because nobody wants to go to the big room. Why? Because it's dead, dry, dull, boring, and not relevant. Here, we have to keep working and try to get enough people to serve the kids. Why? Because nobody wants to miss the worship service. Amen? Because, man, God's here. God's spirit's moving. So just for you newcomers, and we're so thrilled that you're here. And Man, we, we remember hearing these stories for the first time, and, man, we're so excited. We, we are so excited. So this dad has two boys, younger and older. That's all we know, younger brother, older brother. The younger brother goes to dad and said, Dad, I really wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. I want it now because I'm going to party. Give me what is mine. I would have smacked him into next week. Wouldn't you? Smacked him naked and hit his, clo- hit his clothes. And so the father does that. The younger brother takes a third of the father's wealth, and he goes off to a far country. I call it Vegas. He went to Las Vegas to party. He was gambling. The Bible says he was with loose women. He was drinking. He was having a grand old time. All that the world says that you need to have fun, he was out there, man. He was high-timing it, man. It's the Miller life, man. It is the, it's the deal. So he is, he, and then he runs out of money. And, and so now he's out of money, so he's got to go to work. And so he goes to Wampler's to get a job. See, those are people who are laughing know the story. Because he goes to the hog farm, and he's, he's, he's working with hogs. No good Jewish boy would ever work in a hog farm, but we've already learned he's not a good Jewish, Jewish boy, is he? He's dissed and disrespected his dad. Now he's been out there partying, sleeping around, drinking, doing all this stuff, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So he's at the hog, he's at the hog farm, slopping a hog, starving, starving. He said he wanted to eat the hog slop. Now, we live in East Tennessee, and some of you folks have slopped some hogs. Blount County, some of y'all might have slopped a hog this week. <laughs> Others are saying, what is slop? Did he say slap a hog? Slop a hog. Come on. Now, when I was young, I spent the summers over in Squatchy Valley in Dunlap, Tennessee, with my Uncle Grover and his wife, Hedda Lee, and Rastus. These are real names of my family members. <laughs> Grover and Rastus and Hedda Lee. Listen, deliverance was an upgrade. These people were in the, man, we're talking about way, way, way back. And, and I would slop the hogs. If you've never slopped a hog, it's nasty what those hogs eat. If you slopped a hog, you might not eat bacon. And so, man, and so the, the young guy's there, and he said he wanted to eat the, the hog slop, but nobody was giving him anything. And so he comes up with a story. He comes up with a, an apology and says, I'm going home. He said, I'm going to be a hired man because everybody that works for my dad's got three hots and a cot. And I'm living in the woods, and I got nothing to eat. I'm going home. Matter of fact, I, what a stupid idiot I was. I, never sh- I didn't realize how good I had it back when I was at daddy's. Come on back because it's better than the house of God. Some of y'all are in church for the first time in years. Hey, we're thrilled you're back. Come on back. We don't care where you've been. We don't care what you've done. 
Come on back. And so now while the, while the younger son is making his way home, the father every day is looking. Every day he's on the front porch looking. Every day he's looking, praying, God, bring my boy back. Bring my boy back. There's nothing the father could do. Just pray, bring my boy back. Bring my boy back. And so one day he sees this skinny little knock kid walking down. They said, oh, I know that step. That's my boy. Grabs his robe, pulls it up between his legs, and runs and embraces his son. The son starts the speech, Dad, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father kisses him, embraces him. He didn't even listen because he already knows his heart. He holds the boy out. You ever done that to look at someone? You hug him, then he holds him out. And he looks at me and says, look at that nasty robe. Bring my boy a new robe. No, Dad, I'm going to be a servant. Look at the, hey, bring him some new sandals. Oh, he sold his ring. Bring him a ring and kill the fatted cat. Tell the butcher to kill the fatted cat because we're going to partake because my boy that was dead is alive. He that was blind can see. He's home. We're going to celebrate. <laughs> Woo! Man. And then there's a third player, which is called the older brother. Older brother I call the church member. The church member who was waiting he comes home from work, he hears the music, hears them that, you know, hears all that stuff, he smells the barbecue, he says, What's happening? What are we having a party for? Your brother's home, your daddy's throwing a party. Like, that low rent, no count losing, thug brother of mine out with hookers and spend all my daddy's money. You tell my daddy, I'm not going in there. That punk doesn't deserve a thing. You ever heard that from church members? They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. Look at that long hair. Look at those tats. Wonder where they've been. They don't deserve it. Well, who died and made you God? And so what happens, man? The, the, the gay ghost tells the dad, hey, listen, your little, older brother's out there. And he's really chapped. He's not coming in. Father was up, what's wrong? He said, I cannot believe that you killed the fatted calf for that punk that took a third of our money. I will never go into that party. He doesn't deserve to be a bunk hand. Kick him to the road, Dad. He doesn't deserve it. Get rid of him, Dad. He doesn't deserve it. You never gave me a party. Kick him to the road. That's the reason churches are empty, because they're not receiving people with grace. They're receiving people with condemnation. And I'm going to tell you what, that little brother didn't deserve Jack, but the father waited full of compassion, full of grace. He didn't say, where's the ring? What happened to that robe? Where's my money? He said, bring him some more. And every time you come to the father, boom, right there it is, Jack. Boom. There it is. Boom. There it is. Now, let me just, let's break down the three players for a minute. Younger brother. Let me tell you about the younger brother. He's what I call a taker. Give me what's mine, Dad. I want what's mine. It wasn't his yet, but give me what's mine. See, I know a taker because I am one. So I can spot a taker. We takers know takers, don't we? So what is he? <clears throat> said, hey, give me mine. Let me tell you something about takers. Takers are relationship ruiners because, see, takers are all about themselves, and takers will stay as long as they get what they want. Are you with me? But the second the taker doesn't get what he or she believes is theirs, they're gone because I want what I want. I want you to give me what I want. I want this. And so the younger brother is a taker. I was, I was married for 10 years to Michelle. Let's get that straight. Hypertaker. We get married. Her job is to help me fulfill my vision, my role. I'm called of God. It's my vision. I'm going to build a great church, and you're going to come stand alongside me and do what I do. 
And so Michelle was spirit-filled, sweet, saint of God. Man, we, we would argue. She wouldn't say a word. I, finally, after 30 minutes of my voice being the only voice screaming through the house, you realize how stupid you sound because it takes two to fight. And I would stop, and it was, again, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. And after about 10 years of marriage, I did what the prodigal did. I came to my senses. Because while the prodigal was slopping, the Bible said he came to his senses. And I realized there's two people in my bed. There are two sets of dreams in my bed. There are two sets of gifts. There are two callings. And I began to be the guy, the number one man in my wife's life to make her dreams come true. And I used to think it was just being married to me. It was, there was a little more than that. And so, so I began, so what did I do? I began to research her gifts, her talents, her passions. What was God doing in her? And as a supportive husband, man, it was my job to lift her and to build her to the gifts. Guys, are y'all listening? It took my marriage to a level I didn't know was, I didn't know was legal. I didn't know was possible. Why? Because I began to breathe life into her after 10 years of doing nothing but sucking and taking. See, when you're a taker, you destroy relationships. Putting, listen, if you're listening, say I am. Putting yourself first always ruins a relationship. Always ruins a relationship. Jesus was always other-centered. While he was on the cross, hey, John, take care of mom. Mom, John's going to take care of you. He was always thinking about other people. Even on the cross, he cared about relationships. Look at him in verse 16. Let's look at the prodigal. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and there was no one to give him anything. Now, don't you listen, 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 because this is so countercultural. This is so hard to get and understand, especially with our broken, sinful nature. So I want you to get this. Are you ready? If you, listen, when you put yourself first, when you're a taker, you will end up hungry and lonely and empty and weak. Because that's not how God designed us to be in the beginning. So when you're all about yourself, you end up eating at the hog trough of life. And there's a lot of saints missing the glory of God, eating at the hog trough of it's all about me. Is anybody with, is anybody with that? See, putting self first will ruin. Every, it just ruins relationships. It destroys. It destroys. Now, this is counterintuitive because we live in a culture that's me first. Well, if I don't take care of me, Chris, who's going to meet my needs? What about me? What about me? What about me? Listen, if you take care of other people's needs, your needs will be met by God the Father. He will come through. He will come through. And so Christianity is an other-centered faith. So the boy came to his senses. Let me tell you what the Bible calls that. The Bible calls that a revelation. He's there in the hog trough, and all of a sudden, boom! What, what an idiot. Why did I leave dad? What was so good out here in the world that I left my father, I left the house of God, I left, what is so good out here? He said, I'm going home. I'm going home. He came to his senses. He had a revelation from God. Few people ever get that realization, and let me tell you why. Because most of us are so stuck on ourselves that we can't get a revelation from God. Now, we've all been out there in the world, haven't we? Is it that good? Is it that good? See, what the prodigal realized, it was better at home. And listen to me. Hey, prodigals, come on home. Come on home. Luke, 18, Luke 15, eight, uh, uh, 18 and 19. I'll get up and go to my... Now, I want you to really key in. Listen, don't miss this. I'll get up and go to my father, and I will say this here, where it begins. Are you ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Now, let me tell you what this is. This is called an apology. And some of you don't recognize that because you've never done it. And you've never apologized because you've never been wrong. I, I have to tell you, there's only one person that's never wrong, and that person's not in your chair. And you're driving the rest of us away. You're driving everybody away because you're always right, and you'll never apologize. You're insecure, arrogant, whatever the deal is, but I have absolutely been just blown out of the water. How many pastors and leaders, how many dads, how many moms refuse to apologize? Refuse. When my boy's little, they get in a fight. And if you have more than one boy, there's going to be a fight. That's my wife never could get it, so you don't understand. They're boys. Girls don't fight. Boys fight. Some girls do. But these boys fought. And I would say, who started it? Because I'm, I'm whooping whoever started it. And then if you threw another punch, I'm whooping both of you. So go ahead, Mike, apologize. Sorry. <laughs> Is that an apology? No, say, I am sorry I hit you first, Zach, and I love you, my little brother. And Zach would say, just give me another spanking. <laughs> They'd rather tell you that red bump is already red. You say, I can't believe you spank your kids. You don't? <laughs> Let them get eight or nine. You'll wish you had. And so... And so, I don't care what Dr. Spock said. He probably didn't have kids. And if he had kids, they were weren't. <laughs> but what I've learned is people don't apologize. I'm so sorry that what I said offended you. So did you just apologize for me? You're sorry. I'm sorry that what I said offended you. I'm not sorry for what I said. Right? Matter of fact, I'm not even apologizing at all. Because, you listen, I don't apologize because I'm not wrong. Can I listen, 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 listen? Does, does God love unity? Are we better together? Are we better in relationship? Being the relationship always trumps whoever's right. I have a, a listen. I've apologized so much to Michelle. I've eaten enough crow. I like the taste of feathers. <laughs> I apologize for stuff I didn't even think about doing. Sometimes I'll apologize, and she'll catch on. She said, what are you, what are you sorry for? I said, I'm not sure yet, but I'm really sorry about it. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what I did, but I'm sure it was heinous and horrible, and I am so sorry that I did it. Usually she said, okay. I said, Thank God, whatever I did. I mean, I, are you, you guys, y'all know what I'm talking about? But, but listen, man, listen, if, if you are full of the Spirit of God, you can apologize. You can apologize. Being, be, listen, the relationship trumps you being right. Was Jesus wrong when he hung on the cross? Had Jesus ever sinned? No, he was taking our punishment. The relationship between you and the Father and you and the Son trumped Jesus being right as the perfect Lamb of God took our place, died on the cross for us. Come on. Our penalty, our punishment. Because he, he said the relationship is more important. And while he's hanging there to the men that crucified him, he said, Father, forgive them. They're cursing him. They're hurling insults at him. They're mocking him. And Jesus looked at him and said, forgive them, Father. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. See, if I was Jesus, I'd had just a couple lightning bolts come out of my hands. Wouldn't y'all? 
I wouldn't have killed everybody, just a couple. I know you're thinking you're glad I'm not God. Well, so, so does everybody else. And so, man, Jesus said, Father, forgive him. Can I tell you, listen, a sincere apology goes a long way. Well, look at the father's response in 1520. He got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt what? Listen to me. If you're ready to come back to God, there's no judgment. There's no critical attitude. God the Father's waiting for you today with his arms stretched wide out. There's no anger that, that there's no, he's not ready to squash you. Man, look, he felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, now, where's my ring, boy? Bring him a new one. What happened to those Gucci sandals I bought you? Bring him a new pair. What about that robe? He wasted. Bring him a new robe. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party because my son is back. Every time somebody saved, they party in heaven, and we ought to party in the house of God. Come on. When the prodigals come home, yes, Lord, thank you. Bring them on. Bring them on. Bring them on. That's why God is blessing our church. And, man, thank him for it. And so the prodigal, man, that's now, now understand, understand that's not how everybody else responds when you apologize. But their response is not your responsibility. Can I tell you something? Every weekend I preach, I'll go and send many of them that just heard the message from you, God, are not going to do it. And if I hadn't have got the grip that I'm responsible to you but not responsible for you, I'd have probably had a heart attack and died by now. But, but I'm going to give you the message, and what you do with it's up to you. Amen? Like, we all know we should tithe this weekend. Are we all going to tithe? No, we're not. 80% of us are not. There's nothing I can do about it. I can just tell you. Only it's, it's you. Amen? But see, you're responsible for you. Look at Romans 12, 18. If possible, as far as it depends on who, be at peace with all men. Don't let anybody hold you hostage because you're angry and bitter. Can I tell you something? The two men that sexually abused me when I was a little boy, I have sat with both of those. I have shared the gospel with both of those. I have loved those guys. One of those men is dead and one of them is still alive, and he is my friend today. Because I'm not going to let what somebody did to me in my past keep me a prisoner today because I've got a future. I've got a preferred future of faith. God's got the glory he wants to. God's got revival he wants to send. He's got blessings, and I'm not going to miss those blessings because I can't let go. So come on. Now, holy moly, I'm way behind. Here's the deal. There's one other player, the older brother, the church member. He went to church every Sunday. And he was better than everybody else. There's always a church member to wreck, wreak havoc on a homecoming. There's always there to stop and say, hold it, wait a minute. Look how that guy looks. Look how that girl's dressed. Do you know what they've done? They don't deserve it. We're not going to let them in. And your church will die in Jesus' name. Are you with me? I had a lady walked up to me because we had a lady come to church. And she had a past just like mine. She was loose. She slept with tons of guys. She did drugs. She partied just like I did, except I slept with women, not guys. <laughs> let's make that clear. While we're coloring sin, let's make sure we color the sin correctly. And she walked up and said, Pastor, you probably don't know her, but I know her history, and we don't want women like her in this church. And I said, no, ma'am, we don't want women like you in our church. Because I could identify with that lady who was trying to find some hope and some grace in a life of hell more than that judgmental, critical older brother who tried to destroy that homecoming. Always there. 
Shouldn't we that have received the grace of God be the greatest givers of grace on the planet? Shouldn't we? Come on, church. See, our unity, man, our love is more important than being right. God forgave you. Some of you are getting some people in your spirit that you need to contact this week. Send them an email. Call them. Man, try to restore. Reach out to them. Share. Reach that love. Come on. Us that have received it, give it out. And then there's some of us this weekend. You know what? We're still prodigals. You've never come home. You've been religious. You came to church. You did, you've, done, you've done whatever. I'm going to tell you, if I was a prodigal, I'd run to Jesus the way the prodigal ran home. And we're going to receive you, but more importantly than us, we love you. God the Father's hands are wide open. You say, Chris, you don't know what I've done. We literally don't care. We don't care. We've all screwed up. We've all stuck our head in that hog trough. We've all been colored and scarred and hurt by that world out there, haven't we, church? And we who have been given grace are going to dispense that grace back unto you, but God the Father's hands are reaching out right now. So if you're ready to be adopted in the family of God, if you're ready to be saved, with every head bowed and every eye closed, wants to pray this prayer with us. Just like the prodigal practiced what his, his repentance. Man, we're going to pray with you out loud. Say, dear Jesus, I know I've sinned, and I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Help me walk by faith. Not sure how to do it. But I know you died for me. And I know you rose from the grave. And now I want to follow you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, come on, give the Lord some praise, would you? Wow. Wow. Wow, wow. Now, now here's the deal. Here's the deal. There are some, there are, would, there are thousands of people that are, that are with us, either in person or on the internet or at one of our campuses, and you've got a prodigal in your life. And there's just simply nothing that you can do. So in just a minute, all of our prayer team is going to be up. Many of them are going to be what we call Stephen ministers. If you're, if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, if you need somebody to walk with you, if you'll fill out the communication card, say, I need a Stephen minister. We put men with men and ladies with ladies. These folks will help you, but they're going to be down with our staff praying for people. You say, but pastor, there's no hope for, there's no hope for my prodigal. We serve an unstoppable God, and we're waiting with you. Dad, I know you don't feel like giving up, but it's been two years. I don't think he's ever coming back. You're right. I don't want to give up, and I'm not. He'll be back. God, the truth is, sometimes I do feel like giving up. It's hard to have hope when I don't see any reason that he would come back. It seems like ever since he was born, he's done things his way. He packed his car the morning he turned 18. God, he thinks he knows everything. But I know that all he really knows is not to listen to anyone but himself. I can't get through to him. Only you can. God, I need a miracle. And if you need a miracle, we serve the God who can let's stand at every campus, campus pastors. For you guys to come forward, all our worship teams, all our prayer people, make your way down. Let's pray together. And then when I get done, we're going to worship. And all these folks are here waiting on you to pray with you. 
Maybe you say, Pastor, I don't even have any faith to believe anymore. These folks have got some faith, and they're willing to give you their faith. At every campus, they're willing to give you their faith and believe with you. God, you're unstoppable. You're unbelievable. You are beyond comprehension. But God, we've got some people that we love that are far from you and far from us. And God, we ask you to move. We ask you to bring them home. God, we're waiting, believing, and praying that you're going to do a miracle. You're the God of the restoration. You're the God that repairs the breaches. You're the God that restores that which is ruined. And we ask you to move in these holy moments in Jesus' name. Come on, guys, if you need prayer as we worship.